0: Bit. Uh, it's amazing. It's been a long week. But you know, it's been uh, incredible. I, I would hope that all of you had a great time with friends and family uh, through the last few days here. You know, this is pretty amazing. I'm not even on. Okay. Woo! Test, test, test. There we go. <laughs> okay. But uh, with that, uh, I know for Jackie and I, the last few weeks have been incredible and in that we've had the opportunity to get with our various community groups, uh, different parties, different meals. I've probably put on a good 10 pounds in the last month. So uh, you can imagine what my uh, first New Year's resolution will be is probably to try and shed some of that. You know, and there's uh, I know there's one family in particular that's uh, incredibly fired up here, that sits here today, and that they got their Christmas gift a little early uh, I believe it was the 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Tannis Dabney was baptized into Christ last week. So we have a new sister in Christ? That was such an, an incredible evening, uh, just the sharing, seeing all the, the, the sisters that were involved in helping her bring, bring her to the Lord. But more than anything, I think just even what's been going on in that family. And I know for me, one of the most encouraging things you can see is when your kids become disciples, when they become unified with you in Christ, and guys, it was such an encouraging evening for me, as I know that it was for you. But you know, Christmas, Christmas time, sometimes has a few challenges, and have you experienced that all along? Like getting out there in the uh, malls and parking, that kind of thing? I mean, I, I was blown away by some of the moves that people try to throw on you, um, I'm, I'm looking to get a new cell phone, so I've been, you know, getting kind of low down on things. I figured, you know what, I need to go to the Mac store and find out, get, so, get kind of the scoop on the iPhone relationship to what all that it works with. And I was heading down the lane. There's a guy in the very first spot as you're heading in, and it was that day we had that pouring down rain that opens up. Well, it's a one-way aisle, and I have a guy come kind of swooping around the front to try and dive into it. Now, it was pretty narrow lane. Fortunately, he got blocked, and, you know, Save me from having any issues there. <laughs> As we know, I, I do have those from time to time. But I uh, did want to share with you a story this morning. This isn't me. It's about a woman. So, uh, anyways. And it was, this woman was out doing her last-minute shopping, you know, dealing with the whole thing of the malls, the parking lots and all. And she was tired of fighting the crowds. And some of you parents, you know, whatever the latest greatest toy is that uh, Santa's got on his list. Sometimes there can be some challenges there with that. You know, you get up and you get through the store, get to the aisle and empty shelves. Have you ever experienced that at all? You know, and the the fighting over the last minute, clearance deals and all those different things. And eventually, she finished up, she's totally tired, goes to get on the escalator, escalator doors open, it's totally packed. So people grudgingly kind of get their goods together and they back in a little bit to give her a little bit of room, at which point she blurts out, Whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. Now, there were a few other people in the elevator that kind of nodded with her in agreement at that point. But then, from somewhere back in the back of the elevator, a single voice said, Don't worry, they already crucified him. You know, I think, honestly, we we can kind of lose sight about what the season's all about. It's really interesting... In in nations that are so far removed from any form of Christianity today, kind of put in perspective, Japan, one half of one percent of Japan claims to be Christian. And the percentage is similar for China, yet both countries have totally embraced the Christmas spirit. And they celebrate Christmas, New Year's Eve. Uh, they, they got the whole thing going down with the kids about, you know, if you're not naughty or nice, Santa's not coming to visit. They've got a different name for him over there. But it's just amazing how something that was so incredible has transitioned into nothing more than kind of a cultural phenomenon, which so many places in the world embrace today, but it has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Now, let's face it. The time of the year, some of you guys' stress levels a little bit higher than normal. You know, I mean, I look at all the prep that goes into, you know, preparing for different parties and the cooking and the shopping, and, you know, and most of us haven't had a time to slow down yet to take a look at our checkbooks. So, no, we know the implications financially. And then, you know, for some of us, there may have even been family members that you've lost, and it really is very glaring at this time of year. I, I visited my mom uh, for Christmas yesterday, and it's just so weird going to her apartment. And seeing the two chairs, one which she always sat in and the other that my dad always sat in. You know, he's, been, he's only been gone for two years, but there's that, that void. And I, I know some of you can relate to that and, and what, that, what, the, what this time of year sometimes can bring. But ultimately, what we need to do is we need to remember what this time of year is all about. Amen. With that, let's go ahead and go to the Father in prayer. Father, uh, I do want to thank you so much for the time of year where we do have the opportunity to spend it with friends and and family members. And outside of Christ, it can really be a lonely, lost, dark world. Not that as Christians, that we don't have our challenges, but God, I would so much rather walk it with you than walk it alone. And I'm so grateful that... Your son was ushered into this world 2,000 years ago in in the most humble of forms, as a, a baby, which is helpless, which is so reliant on others. But just knowing ultimately that when we surrender to you and we're relying on you, you've given us such an incredible gift, the gift of salvation, when we let you reign in our own lives. Father, I do want to pray in a special way for Janae Johnson, who has had some major health issues. I'm so grateful to hear that she is no longer in ICU, but Father, she's still in need of our prayers. And I just do pray that you put a protective hedge around the Johnson family, uh, that you really encourage them at this time, and we'll see incredible progress with her health in the hours and days and weeks to come. Father, help us to always remember the significance of this time of year and be grateful for the incredible gift that we were given. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, and again, ultimately we need to remember why this time of year, why Christmas, why you know the just it's so amazing you go out we had the opportunity a few weeks ago to I don't even know what the community is you guys can probably help me with it but off of uh, uh, Pacific Coast Highway, Bell, Calle Bell something, all the lights I mean it's just incredible you know what, what people spend in the way of time and money just making things beautiful at this time of year but we need to remember that the reason for it, the one that's responsible for it all, is God. It's about how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Amen? Today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a song. Let's see here? Okay, it's actually based on Psalm 98. It's the one that we just got through singing a couple of minutes ago, which is Joy to the World. It was written by Isaac Watts about three hundred years ago and uh, you know most of us affiliated with Christmas but the reality of it is he did a whole dissertation and put a whole bunch of the Psalms of David to music. This is the only one that we uh, that I could find today that we still have record of and the reality behind it is what we sing is only one half of the actual song. But what it's from is a collection called the Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament, and applied to Christian state and worship. Now, again, Watts wrote Joy to the World as a hymn, and ultimately, it wasn't to commemorate the birth of Christ, but to glorify Christ's triumphant return at the end of the age. Psalm 98, verse 2, you can read on there with me. says, The Lord made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst in a jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. You know, what we see here is an ushering in of a time where all nations will have the opportunity to be saved. It reminds us in verse 2 that his salvation would be made known to all nations. That even the Gentiles would have the ability to see what God did for the house of Israel. And that Jew and Gentile alike, did doesn't matter what, what religion you were, what nationality you are, but that we all need to be able to realize what this time of year is all about because God, because of Jesus Christ, and as a result of that gift, the sacrifice and the salvation that came through that. Now, as the author of Joy to the World wrote here, Is that we all need to prepare room for Jesus Christ, the whole earth, and with that, rejoice about his coming. You know, in today's society, many people leave Christ and the real joy out of Christmas. You know, instead of looking to Jesus for joy, people look anywhere and everywhere else. An interviewer once asked Madonna a number of years ago this basic question Are you a happy person? And she responded, I'm a tormented person. I'm wrestling with a lot of demons, but I want to be happy. I have moments of happiness. I'm working towards knowing myself, and I assume that will bring me happiness. You know, I would imagine all of us sitting here, we all want happiness, right? You know, and it's amazing some of the things that we will try to do to achieve that. Crazy things, outlandish things, for the purpose of finding happiness. You know, we work super hard to buy possessions, which we think is going to fill that void. Uh, Different forms of entertainment, hobbies, sports, passions. And if that doesn't work, then we try finding other things. Maybe a form of Eastern philosophy, hoping that that's where that elusive happiness is hiding. See, happiness seems to be the main goal in life. Even in our Declaration of Independence, it's listed as an unalienable right. You know what's really surprising is, we look to the Bible, the Bible doesn't talk about happiness a whole lot. In the uh, NIV, the word's used twice, in Matthew 25, and it's God talking about the degree of happiness he has for us if we do things in accordance with what he's laid out. In the New American Standard Bible, which is the most accurate word for word, happiness isn't in there at all, which I was kind of shocked with. And if you take a look at the uh, Message Bible, I think you'll find this next one kind of interesting. It's a passage that we're all pretty familiar with. It comes out of uh, Galatians 5, verse 19. It says, It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness in the Message Bible one time and it's in Galatians 5. Now what the Bible says though is it says a lot about something else that a lot of times we confuse with happiness which is joy. Joy appears over 220 times in the the, uh, Bible and the kind of joy that the Bible talks about goes a lot deeper than just mere happiness. You know happiness deals with what is happening. Now, how many of you have uh, pulled a suit or a pair of pants out of the uh, closet you haven't worn in a while and the hand goes into a pocket and you pull out a $20 bill? Have you ever, ever experienced that at all? How does that make you feel? makes you feel happy, right? Well, I don't know if you ever experienced that, but I, I did have an occur- occurrence like that one morning where, you know, I went into the suit pocket and there was a $20 bill and I walked out to my car and lo and behold, what was sitting on the windshield? A parking ticket! How did I feel then? I felt sad! That 20 bucks all of a sudden became a $20 hole because it was a $40 ticket! So you know, that's kind of how it goes with happiness. It's, it's so much depends upon your circumstances. You have a great day at work, you come home, you go to the mailbox, students don't get aggravated out of here, but you open that, that mail up as a parent and you got a report card. It ain't all that great! So you go from being happy because of a great day at work to maybe not quite so happy after you open that envelope on up. You know, 11.55, your work, right around lunchtime start getting happy because you know you're going to go someplace cool to eat. Around 2.30, 3.30 in the afternoon, that heartburn starts kicking in and ain't feeling quite so happy anymore, right? So as you can see, happiness is circumstantial. It's based on what's happening, things that go on around us. You know, I would imagine as parents, uh, might be a few of you out there that are anom- an anomaly, but from time to time, you ever heard your kids complain, "I'm bored." You know, and ultimately, what that means is I want some happiness and I'm not finding it. You know, most of you may be familiar with. uh... If you uh, read the newspaper, watch the news at all, there was this couple uh, about a week ago, a Carol Ann Riddell and a John Partila. And uh, two different families, these guys met, their kids were in uh, pre-kindergarten together. So you had three families involved. And I thought it was kind of interesting that this was in the New York Times, in the section under Weddings and Celebrations, listed as vows. Now, obviously they lost sight of the vows that they made to their initial spouses, and then they decided, they, they noticed that there was a longing for each other, these two people, that when one of them didn't come to a parent-teacher event, or a play, or a concert that the kids were involved with, they missed the other one. So they kind of decided they were going to meet, they met at a bar, they talked about it, and they decided the best thing for them to do was to leave their then spouses and get married. Now, you have two people that may have become happy out of this, two people that were dumped, and five kids now that are probably utterly confused as to what's going on. But this was, in, this was because of their pursuit of happiness. Now, I don't know if I were either one of them that I'd be too confident about things, because they've got these new vows to themselves now, but what happened to the vows to their initial spouse? And it's just so crazy. And again, it's because of circumstances, situations. I wonder if the two of them ever sat down to work through any of their challenges, any of the differences they had. This obviously isn't a God-based marriage based on the reasons for why they decided to walk away from their existing spouses and step into this new relationship. And the fact that this would be, in the New York Times, under wedding celebrations. Now, both couples are a little... A little, uh, if they had it to do over again, they wouldn't have done it quite so publicly because, needless to say, there's been quite an outcry because of what has taken place here and what this means for the spouses that got dumped and the children that are now involved in this situation. But we've got to be careful that when it comes to happiness, we're not looking in the wrong places. And ultimately, we make this transition from happiness, which again is based on circumstances and what's going on around us, to the joy the Bible talks about. Amen? You know, the Bible gives us some great insight as to what joy is all about. In the Greek, it's it's, uh, spelled X-A-P-A, which is pronounced kara. And what it is is an inner gladness, a deep-seated pleasure. It's a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful and rejoicing heart. It's a cheerful heart that leads to cheerful and rejoicing behavior. And we think about this... It's so awesome because we have an incredible example, not only in Jesus Christ, which, you know, is God in the flesh. I, I like looking at guys that have got issues. You know, I mean, you look at a Peter or an Andrew or a Paul. I mean, here Paul was the, one of the most horrendous persecutors of Christianity. And then when he makes the transition, whether he was in prison, whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was sick, whether he was being beaten by bitten by, uh Uh, venomous snakes, whatever, he always found a means of rejoicing. Why? His life wasn't based on situational things. His life wasn't based on circumstances. His life was based and built on the foundation of joy for him, which is Jesus Christ. Knowing that his sins were forgiven, that even though he was standing there watching Christians be murdered, that he could go to bed at night and sleep with a clear conscience because he'd become a Christian and Jesus Christ had forgiven his sins. See, genuine joy doesn't depend on what's happening. Again, joy is an inner sense of well-being that has nothing to do with circumstances. I think Paul exemplifies this best in Philippians 4, in verse 4, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Why was he able to rejoice? It's right there. The Lord is near. Didn't matter what was going on around him. He always knew that he was walking with Jesus Christ right at his side. The Lord was near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, this kind of joy, this kind of rejoicing, doesn't come from finding that $20 bill in your pocket. What it comes from is having an actual relationship with God. You know, the uh, first uh, line of joy to the world really sums it on up. There's only one reason and one reason only that we can find joy in this world. And as the song says, we can have joy because the Lord has come. If Jesus Christ is king of your life, he provides joy in the same way that the body requires food. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, certain times of the day I get hungry. And if I don't take care of that need, I get cranky, as my wife will attest to. And when it comes to the relationship that we have with Christ, it's the same thing. If we're not walking spiritually with God... If we don't have that relationship, we're not reading our Bibles, we're not praying, we're not involved in a fellowship of like-minded people with the same kind of heart and that same joy that's derived from Christ, guess what? You're going to be emaciated spiritually. You're going to be very far from being sated. That, That appetite is going to be there. There's going to be this hole, there's going to be this vacuum that's left there. And that's why in the first stanza of the song, it says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Now, you know, historically, we know that uh, not everyone was super excited about Jesus Christ coming. Most of you guys remember King Herod, right? How, how did he feel about it when the wise men, the magi, came to him and said, Hey, we're, we're looking for this, uh, this Messiah that's being born. You know, from a historical standpoint, I don't know how how many of you guys know this or not, but he was very insecure. He killed three of his own sons because he was afraid they were going to usurp the throne. We also know that what happened to all the infants that were two years or younger in Bethlehem because of Herod. They were all killed. So he wasn't really excited or fired up about what was going on, but we do have the contrast of the wise men, the magi. Now, uh, you notice here there's three at the forefront, but the the, uh, trail goes a little bit further beyond that. The reality of it is, we don't know how many there were. It says Magi, plural. could have been two. could have been a hundred. But the Magi showed up at the house that Jesus was residing in at the time. They didn't make it to the manger. They kind of came through a little bit after the fact. You see it in Matthew 2. But the issue here is, what was the mindset of the Magi? How did they feel about this whole thing? Now, keep in mind, they came from Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. They were gentiles, they weren't Jews. How did they know about this Messiah? Well, they were familiar with the teachings of Daniel. And as a magi, you know, sorcery, uh astrology, all these different things kind of came in the mix. Magi, magician, pretty much the same thing. But these guys knew there was something special about this Messiah. And as gentiles, they traveled about 500 miles to Bethlehem from again, modern-day Baghdad to Bethlehem to see what was going on with this Messiah. What made them travel to Israel? Well, I think, again, with what they had seen through Daniel the prophet, they realized that there there was something important going on here. Now, while Herod saw saw Jesus as a threat, the wise men saw Jesus as this incredible gift, and they came to worship him. And ultimately... With that, there is joy when the king is received. Let's see here, where am I? Okay, so yeah, again, there's joy when when the Savior is received, but within the second stanza here, it talks about there is joy when the Savior reigns. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. See, receiving Christ is the first step but what we've got to make sure that we do is that we allow Jesus to reign in our lives. You know, while Jesus was living on the earth, the reality behind it all was that he he encountered these incredible crowds of people. We know it wasn't unusual when Jesus showed up, there were thousands of people that showed up as well. But what started happening after he quit feeding them the bread and the fish and some of the miracles took place, when the teaching started to get a little bit harder as to what it really meant for God to reign in your life, what happened to those crowds? I mean, we know the week before he entered Jerusalem, they are shouting and screaming, Hosanna in the highest. And within that same week, those same crowds transitioned from that to crucify him. And ultimately, what was going on there? You know, it's real easy, along the lines of John 3.16, to, well, yeah, I, I received Jesus, but I'll be darned if I'm going to have to reign in my life. Why? Because it means all of a sudden we have to give up our will and subject our will to what Jesus Christ lays out for us. You know, it's amazing. It's real easy for us to receive all the good things from God, from Christ. But we don't want Him to try and take charge of our, our business ethics. We don't want Him to, to take charge of the entertainment values we have, what we want to watch, the language that we use under pressure, our public image. We don't want Jesus to be in charge of where we live, or who we date, or who we marry, or what kind of career we choose. But it's amazing, when things don't work out that way, whose fault it becomes? See, if Jesus doesn't reign in our lives on a yearly, monthly, weekly, most importantly, daily basis, we will not have joy. Only moments of fleeting happiness. True joy, again, true joy in your world only comes from being surrendered and allowing Jesus Christ to, wane, to reign in our lives. Amen? So there is a Savior when the Savior reigns. John 3, 19, this is one of the reasons that we have a problem surrendering to Christ. And keep in mind, again, this is in the same passage, just a few verses after that we know that God has sent us this incredible gift through Christ. It says this is the verdict says that light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You know, it's amazing. For us to allow Christ to reign in our lives means that we need to be willing to take a look at the things that we're doing where we haven't allowed him to, where we've been on our own program. And when it comes to that darkness, those sins, human nature is what? I mean, we don't want it hanging out there for people to see. We want to pretend. We want to keep it masked. We want to stay in darkness. But again, if you really want true joy, the only way to do that is to receive Christ and allow him to reign in your life. Otherwise, you will miss out on this true joy. Hypocrisy, indecisiveness, can actually zap the joy right out of your life and there can come a time when you have to admit that you're not fooling anybody I mean it's real obvious I know when I'm not doing well spiritually guess what I'm not a happy guy I'm not joyful and the thing that I appreciate is I've got a very spiritual wife that will point it out to me my daughter will point it out to me I've got Marco that will point it out to me there's any number of people in my life it will help me get back surrendered in those areas. Because usually when I get contagious about things, it's because I've lost sight of the bigger picture. And I try to force things through on my own powers without that walk with Christ. I don't know about you, I, I know for myself personally, if I'm not walking with Christ, I do a pretty lousy job of running my life. You know, I mean, I, I've got the scars to, to, to prove it in so many different areas of my life. But Jesus knows... What will give me joy? Jesus knows what will give you joy. He knows the person who will suit you best in marriage. He knows the kind of work that is made for you. He knows all the different situations that are going to work best for you if we're willing to be surrendered to Him and to the Scriptures. So there is joy when our Savior reigns. Amen? In the third stanza, it says there is joy when the sinner repents. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground, He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. You know, sin promises happiness, but delivers sorrow. You see it throughout the Bible, from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve had the opportunity to walk with God in the Garden of Eden. They bought into Satan's lie about what what true happiness, true wisdom, true knowledge would bring. And that led to where we are as men today, mankind. We live in a fallen state because of that unwillingness to rely on God for joy. You know, that's what the song talks about when it says, far as the curse is found, sin always brings a bitter curse. But there is joy when a sinner repents. I want you to think about something for a minute. Think about a sin in your life, any sin. So I want you to think about it for a moment. When it comes to that sin... Has it brought lasting joy, or did it bring pain, hurt, suffering, regret, and in most instances, shame? You know, when we look at that word repent, sometimes that can put us off, especially for those of you that are studying the Bible, trying to make that decision to become a Christian or not. It's not that scary a deal. Metanoia basically means a changed mind. I mean, if you've been pursuing sin, if you haven't been walking in accordance with God's laid out, what is it? It's a mind change. You've got to, it's a matter of just really being surrendered and jumping on in and realizing if you do it God's way, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but it does mean you're doing it in accordance with God who's given us the gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. Repentance brings joy. It brings that time of refreshing. I heard a story that I'd like to read to you that I think really illustrates that point in a very interesting way. It's written by an author by the name of Bret Hart, who wrote a story about the Wild West called The Luck of Roaring Camp. Roaring Camp was the meanest, toughest mining town in the entire West. There were more murders and thefts than any other place around. Roaring Camp was, in, it was inhabited entirely by men, except for one who, woman who made her living the only way she knew how. Her name was Cherokee Sal. Eventually, Cherokee Sal became pregnant and gave birth to a baby. She died in childbirth, and no one knew who the father was. The men put the baby into a box with some old rags under her. Somehow that just didn't seem right, so one of the men rode 80 miles to buy a rosewood cradle. When they put the rags and the baby in the cradle, they realized the rags just didn't look quite right in this beautiful cradle. So another man rode to Sacramento and purchased some silk and lacy blankets. The men lined the rosewood cradle with the silk and tucked a new blanket around the little baby girl but then someone noticed that the floor under the cradle was kinda dirty so the next thing they knew, a few of those big tough men got down on their hands and knees and scrubbed the floor until it was spotless besides all that they looked around and they realized that the walls and the ceiling and the windows were dirty and looked awful so they washed down the walls and the ceiling and even hung some clean white curtains on the windows things were beginning to look a lot better but they soon realized that they had to give up their carousing and fighting. After all, the baby needed a lot of sleep and babies can't sleep during a brawl. (laughs) Besides all that, the baby didn't like angry voices or frowning faces. Neither does my wife or daughter. Anyway, so the men started smiling and talking in pleasant, cheerful tones and since babies shouldn't be left alone, they set the cradle by the entrance of the mine and one of the men stayed next to her while the others worked. Then somebody noticed how ugly the mine entrance was. So they planted some flowers, they made a small garden near the cradle, and as they worked, the men looked for shiny little stones that they could show to the baby and watch her gurgle and coo. But when they held the stones down near her, they saw that their hands looked black and dirty, and they didn't want to scare the little baby with their scraggly hair and wild beards. Pretty soon, the general store sold out of soap and shaving gear, and on and on and on and on. Now, needless to say, in this story you can see The baby changed everything. And the story gives us a small picture into the way that the Son of God can transform our lives. You know, as you sit here this evening, has the Bethlehem baby changed your life? In what way can it be measured? See, joy is a good measurement. As to where you're at when it comes to what took place for us 2,000 years ago. There is joy when a sinner repents. The last stanza reads, There is joy when the truth rules with grace. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. You know, the last verse tells us what Jesus brings. Jesus brings joy. Joy comes because he rules with truth. And a balance of that truth and grace. You know, sometimes when it comes to truth, it's not very gracious. You know, when I hear someone say that, well, you know, I just told them like it was like it was, I just gave it to them straight. What that tells me is that the person on the receiving end was probably offended because someone was going heavy on the truth, but light on the grace. You know, I like the old saying. Truth without love is dogmatism. Love without truth is sentimentality. But truth with love is true Christianity. You know, Jesus brings joy because he is, again, the perfect balance of truth and grace. He is the truth, the life, and the way. We know that when we were at our worst, it talks about it in Romans, when we were at our worst, up to our eyeballs in sin, when did Jesus Christ show up for us? Did he wait for us to get our acts together? No, he was there waiting for us when we were at our worst. Truth is what he represented. But that willingness to die for our sins is the grace that he extended. When we were still sinners, Jesus came for us. See, true joy will be yours, not just on Christmas, but year-round, if you let Jesus Christ be Lord. Repent of your sins and get baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. And as a disciple, what does that mean for us? It's just the process of repentance. We need to continue to understand what Jesus has done for us personally. Truth and grace. And rejoice in that. And be joyful. And realize, you know, we can can all get off off course. We can get all off the path. But the reality of it is, what does it take to get back on? Metanoia. Repentance. Mind change. See, we need to look beyond the tinsel and the lights and see the real cause for joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Like Psalm 98, joy to the world looks ahead to fullness of salvation. The fullness of salvation yet to come. In our world, sins and sorrow, they're still going to be there. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be issues. But the sin, the curse of sin has been broken through that body of Jesus Christ. Results of sin, it still always be among us. But when we sing Joy of the World, we can look back to the first coming of Christ, celebrating His birth and the salvation that made it possible. And at the same time, we look forward to the day when the impact of sin will be erased, and all nations will prove the glories of God's righteousness and the wonders of His love. And in that hope, let us rejoice. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray for the bread and fruit of the vine. Father. I'm so grateful to be able to come before you today and call you Father, knowing that before the wall of sin was broken down through the waters of baptism that I didn't have a relationship with you, I couldn't walk with you, and the gift of eternity in heaven with you was not something that I had received yet. But thank you so much, God, for Jesus Christ and his willingness to be that balance of truth and grace, that he, he, can, he could live in accordance with what you established, God, so that we have this incredible pattern This incredible man that we could look to and know that that hope that he extends is a gift that all we need to do is reach out and accept and apply the scriptures to our lives, allow him to reign in our lives. And through that, we can truly have repentance that gives us the ability to have that relationship with you. Father, uh, help us to always remember the reason behind the season, which is your son, Jesus Christ, to always remember what was given up so freely for us when we were at our worst, when we didn't deserve it, but knowing that ultimately, that is why you came. That is why you walked the face of this planet, was so that we could reach out and take that gift from you, walk with you into eternity, and have such an incredible impact on those around us. Father, I love you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.